Hello, everyone. Welcome to the second season of For the Love of Books podcast featuring Indian small press authors with host Emma Paluba. We've been rocking 2022 so far, or has the year been rocking us? I have to consult my psyche. Today, I will be chatting with Eric Bean, a.k.a. Professor Bean, about his handbook, Biases All Around You, that will help you separate fact from fiction. At the end of our interview, Eric will announce the details of his book giveaway of bias. Eric Bean holds a master's degree in journalism from Michigan State University, and he also holds a doctorate in education. He is the founder of the Ethan Bean Mental Wellness Foundation because mental health issues have adversely affected his family and so many around him. He's passionate about helping others. Hello, Eric. How are you? Oh, good. And you, Emma? Glad to be here on a Friday morning. Yeah, it's good. Finally, Friday. Let's yes. talk about your bias handbook. At the Oxford 2018 Internet Policy and Politics Conference, you learn that some people will share social media posts without vetting them to get a political candidate elected. And that has inspired the entire handbook. Tell us about Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, when I attended that conference in 2018, I actually presented a paper there on fake internet ads, not just necessarily fake internet news that we come across. And then during that conference, um, they did say uh, that there has been some research that people will actually forward information in their social media networks just to get a candidate elected uh, and um, without really even thinking that... Um, you know, that it's, it can be so harmful. Um, and uh, so, I, you know, that did get me thinking, but it was the result of the 2020 U.S. presidential election, the pandemic, and um, a lot of misinformation just floating around there. And then when people in my own social networks were forwarding information that wasn't properly vetted, that's when I sat down and said, I think I need to come up with a tool based on my years of teaching English, um, my years of teaching journalism, where that you know many people can benefit from understanding how to properly analyze, inspect information um, before they use it. And uh, so that's when I assembled my team with a, a, an amazing editor named Sherry Wexler here in the local Detroit area and an amazing illustrator named Gail Gorski who cut out all the illustrations from paper. They're amazing. I went through the illustrations, fascinating, simple. You Im immediately get the message. Yes, that was our, our whole goal. And I'm very thankful for editor Sherry Wexler to make sure that any technical information that we needed to transfer that people could understand in a simple, easy-to-use handbook under 60 pages mm -hmm. um, that, that, that gives them the tools. You know, there's a lot of media literacy organizations out there, um, but there's do, there didn't seem to be a tool that people can hold in their hands and refer to often, and that was the theme of our book. Perfect. Now, let's take up a specific case. I would like to share this piece of info on social media. Let me read it to you. According to some experts, a new stealth version of the Omicron variant discovered in California 
seems to be harder to detect and is even more contagious, though it's unclear how dangerous it is. This comes as more people are being infected with COVID-19 for a second time. So how would I assess this? Help me assess this before I share this information. Yes. I didn't mean yes. to put you on the spot, but I did. <laughs> I am so glad you did, uh, uh, Emma, without a doubt, because I want to you know, be just like the readers of our book. So the first thing, the first thing that I would do is I would say to you, you know, what format is the information published in? Was that a social media post? Was it a news story? News um, story. It was news a news story. story. Yeah. So the first thing we need to do is we need to determine which one of the seven sources of overall bias does that piece of information fall into? So chapter one uh, begins by uh, dissecting the seven sources. So no matter what information comes our way or that we choose to read, we have to first categorize it. Is it an academic source? Is it a hidden agenda source, which is difficult sometimes to discern because they might use false information and false headers and things like that. But is it a for-profit, non-profit, watchdog group, a government group, or an individual? This could be uh, a, a journalistic source, but journalistic sources also include individuals. So, you know, we need to really determine, uh, obviously, you know, if this is from a, a, a well-known newspaper, that's one thing. Uh, maybe it's a well-known magazine, um, but we need to really kind of take our magnifying glass and, and inspect a story like this to really determine, because what happens is, um, if it was put out by other agencies, um, they may not have transferred all the information correctly from its original source. So that's another thing that the book talks about. Um, and we remember that game as a child, when we would sit around in a circle, we'd whisper something in somebody's ear. And by the time it came full circle, um, the information was often distorted. So when we look at this article that you're talking about, uh, about Omicron, um, you know, to me, it sounds like it's, it's, you know, overall a newsworthy item, but we certainly have to dig deeper to make sure that it's from news agencies that align with our values. Okay, so oh. how much time should I devote to <laughs> assessing a piece of information? Yeah. Most people are really busy. Or right. Even, so how, how much time yeah. can we give to assessing during our well, busy so, days? Yeah, so I came up with the CLEMP format of analysis. Uh, CLEMP stands for Kiros, Logos, Ethos, Mythos, and Pathos. And it's one of the fastest techniques that you can use to assess a piece of information. Now, um, we have to divide that out. Kiros is the timeliness of the information. First look and see when it was published. Now, that obviously is probably a relatively new article within the last week or the last month. Yeah, but a lot the last week. Yeah, but a lot of times people are circulating stories in their social media that could be a year too old. Now, it doesn't mean that old information is bad information. Old information can be great information, but it just means that the first thing we need to do with our magnifying glass is find out when it was published. So that's that's Kiros, right? Then we have Logos, which is uh, L, L for Logos, and that's the amount of facts and statistics. So if you wanna do a fast uh, analysis of that piece, 
Are they including information from valuable sources? They're you know, not. Uh, yeah, they're, they're not. not. Yeah, right. If if they're just you know talking about uh, Omicron and there doesn't seem to be, if we don't see words like according to, or um, as stated, or as said, then really the information it could be nothing more than an editorial that you're looking at um or just just a simple piece of information without much validation so that's logos uh and then ethos and mythos that's the background of the author now that does take more research we need to put their name uh, in a search engine uh to find out what their uh subject matter expertise is which is mythos mm -hmm. uh you know and then we have pathos which is you know, just pure emotion. So um, when it comes to Klemp, Kiros, Logos, and Pathos can be immediately assessed in the piece without doing any further information, just looking at that piece that's right there in front of you. And that can give you a good idea of the value of the information. So it sounds to me like that's just an updated blurb of, you know, what's happening, maybe in, maybe overly summarized piece without much attribution or citation. So, you know, um, I'd probably want to look for more information on Omicron uh, from, you know, more validated sources, you know, before I take the information purely to heart before moving forward with it. Okay, because yep. these are really sensitive. Anything pertaining to COVID, or yep. political stuff, which lately has become the same thing, Ab COVID and politics. Absolutely. And you know what? Many of the people who are in leadership positions who are analyzing the pandemic for us, and we rely on their information, you know, if, at times uh, that, you know, they've misspoken too. Um, but, you know, I think what what we need to hear them say from time to time is that, you know, we're learning about the virus. The virus is changing. It's new. It, it, it is a deadly virus. While some people aren't affected, other people who have healthy immune systems are severely affected. And, uh, you know, I personally would like to see them out there more. We need more town halls and uh, more information to ease people's uh, minds because, you know, there are conspiracy theories out there. Uh, things like that. Most of them, you know, don't hold true. We don't have enough evidence until years from now. But the bottom line is we can only work with the information that is at our fingertips, that's right in front of us. Um, but we all need to do a better job at sifting through, you know, the barrage of misinformation that comes our way. We do need to overall trust the people who are in charge, if, if we can, to the best of our ability. I know that they may not always align with our values, but the bottom line is, um, you know, the more information they put out there and, and make corrections when they put out misinformation or if older information changes and they update it with new information, we can be more confident in what they have to say. Okay, and then you also talk about the consequences if we do not properly assess information, it could lead to you following a false cause, leave you feeling foolish, tarnish your credibility, four, attract the wrong people, five, create undue stress, six, compromise your values, seven, 
harm your mental health. These are serious consequences we're talking about. Do people realize that? Well, you know, and sometimes I wonder, Emma, if they really do, you know, and that's why we wanted to create a book that kind of, you know, encapsulated those consequences. You know, everybody's using social media and, you know, everybody wants to be right. When we have a conversation, it, we all want to be right. Nobody wants to be wrong. But the thing is, is that many of us, and even sometimes myself, I can be guilty of what's called a hasty generalization. That's a fallacy. So what that means is hasty generalization means I'm just going to take the first information that comes along that confirms my own biases, right? right. And I'm going to use that for my own defense. Uh, but, but really what I should do is that I need to dig deeper and not immediately share information so quickly until I validate it. And again, this comes back to the fact that I've seen people in my own social networks, you know, and oftentimes, Emma, you know, our social networks are pretty small. We're literally only arguing about something, maybe with 200 people, maybe with 500 people. It can grow big, but, um, you know, we might not even be arguing it in public. And why spend all that time and energy arguing and arguing so much? Maybe we should take the time to, to, to join uh, an association to join a nonprofit effort and really, really help in the, in, in the community and the values that we believe in, instead of all of the back and forth that's going on in our small social networks. Because, you know, what's at stake? Yeah, we could be following a false cause because we hastily absorb the information without really properly vetting it and tracking it so quickly you know um how many times have as you've read a piece of information in your social network by somebody and then you look at the date and it's five years old or it's six years old now again it, again i'm not i'm not saying that old information is bad old information can sometimes be better than new information yes. but <clears throat> but we've we've all have to stop the hasty uh generalization and the other aspect of the book that got us thinking is that uh, you know civil discourse is uh, not civil anymore? You know people are using uh, language that um, is inappropriate, um, and I think part of it is for the shock value. I think somewhere down the line, the people who they value as leaders, you know, use the same language, and uh, and they feel that they can get their point across by using such harshness. But the bottom line is. I think personally, we can get our points across by using better and more valid information uh, and serve it up appropriately uh, when we take the time to do our research. And that's what's at stake. And our mental health is at stake. Uh, have, have you ever uh, you know, forwarded something and then said to yourself, hmm, Maybe I shouldn't have done that. I, that you know, has happened to me. Yeah, yeah. And look, it's, it's happened occasionally to me. And that's why I had to take a step back and say, wait a minute, you know, that, you know, that can affect our mental health. So the book talks about something called cognitive dissonance. And uh, Festinger came up with this in the late 1950s. It's an uncomfortable feeling that we have when our cognitions, our behaviors, don't align with our values uh, or we simply do something that 
doesn't align with our thinking. And, and in the book, we use a simple example of, you know, eating high fat foods. We know in our mind, it's not healthy for us. We eat it anyways, and then we feel bad about it. And so I'd like to think that if people share information without properly vetting it, in a way, somewhere, somewhere inside their head, they probably should not feel too good about it because um, it's just like the analogy at the very end of the book where I believe that if we run into a theater and we scream there's fire and there's no fire, we would be arrested. We'd yes. be arrested. So, so I think that we all have to stop screaming so much and we have to start properly vetting information because some of us could have huge followings out there on the internet and um, our readership and the people that depend on us depend on us properly vetting the information before we share it. And should we be, be fighting what I call the internet wars over issues? Well, that's it. That's it. Uh -huh. People, you know, it, it can be very satisfying to, you know, post a, you know, a zinger, you know, uh -huh. yeah. um, it's, but, but it's, it, it's okay to post a zinger if you're mm -hmm. leading people to, you know, valid information, that's fine. Um, but I guess overall, you know, my point is, is that I, there are some people that wake up every day and all they do is share all this unvetted information in their social media networks when they could be joining a nonprofit, uh, you know, organization in their neighborhood and and help do something even more meaningful with that time and energy than just arguing about something in their social media network because in the long run that's not going to really accomplish anything what accomplishes things are when we go out and we try to change laws right, right. you know we or we go to a, a meeting go to a meeting at a local municipality and and find out you know, what laws are under consideration to be changed. That's where the laws begin. They begin with our local municipalities, right in our neighborhood, in our cities. You know? So in other words, Eric, you're telling us that we should be more proactive in the real world rather than in the virtual world. I, I believe so, because, you know, I mean, after all, if you're just out there for more followers, what's the end game? Are you selling them products? Are you just selling them yourself? And, and you're, it's not even a profitable venture. You know, why not take that time and, uh, you know, help change things in the community where we, where we go out and we make things happen, you know, based on proper research and, and, and based on our values and our beliefs. Um, because right now, you know, a civil discourse you know, is out of control. We've never had a time. The other aspect of this, Emma, is that mm -hmm. the technology, the technology has grown so, um, so much more advanced. Uh, for example, when I think of the TikTok uh, application, yes. you know, people, people can stitch in videos, people mm -hmm. can, people can make themselves look like they're professional journalists Mm -hmm. But we need we need to research them. Who are they? What are, what is their background when they're doing their own analysis on TikTok, for example? And again, there's nothing wrong 
with different opinions. There's nothing wrong with people being out there and voicing their concerns. But I just think that people need to take a step back and not be so, uh, you know, hasty with the information. So this handbook should help people. It's an easy guide yeah. that will guide people so we don't make these internet mistakes. Well, that's it. There's a bias assessment form, one page at the end of the handbook that will take the reader through uh, and, and have them assess any information based on the seven categories. Um, you'll, you can rate the information based on CLEMP. You can score the information based on what you believe the information might have in terms of conflicts of interest. There's also a chapter on you know, 10 popular fallacies that any information can be laden with. And, and the truth of the matter is, is that um, anybody, it doesn't matter what your education level is, anybody can be a victim of misinformation. Absolutely. And, and so we, that's why, you know, we all need to take the time and, uh, you know, even just to fill out that form might only take about, you know, one or two minutes to critically think uh, and critically think about the information first, um, you know, before we subscribe to the information, before we, you know, believe in the information, critically think about it. And, um, and, and that's what the book can help all the readers do. And it doesn't matter what your background is and, you know, all walks of life can, I, you know, can use this book to their advantage. Okay, Eric, would no. you like to read a passage from your I definitely would. You know what? I'm going to turn to, let's see here. I'm going to go to the chapter on disregarding bias for mental health. That's chapter two. Okay. And I am going to read um, this chapter uh, from Joseph Pulitzer. This is on page 31, a legacy of a New York congressman and non-biased purveyor of news. This unabashed disregard for truth propagated in many social networks, one of the biggest misinformation data aggregates, has resulted in political and global economic strife, the likes of which have not been experienced since the printing press was invented over 500 years ago. In 1904, Pulitzer wrote, our republic and its press will rise or fall together. If we choose to recklessly share information without vetting, much is at stake personally as well as politically. If we fall victim to any of the 10 fallacies we will soon discuss, our mental health may be compromised. We may experience what psychologists call cognitive dissonance, an uncomfortable psychological state that exists when there are inconsistencies between one's behaviors and cognitions. Festinger, 1957. Such cognitive dissonance can cause much emotional pain and physical hardship, leading to negative stressful consequences. The simplest example of cognitive dissonance can represent the feeling someone feels, right, after they eat a meal that they know was unhealthy. And so the reason why I chose those passages is because you know, many people, there are people out there that are going to, you know, they might say, I, you know, I don't need help vetting information. You know, I, I, I'm smart enough to know, uh, you know, what I'm looking at and I'm smart enough to know and, and be wise. And, you know, they're, they might be using a lot of reliable sources and that's good. 
But, um, you know, again, we're being bombarded with new information. There are new sources of information and there's nothing wrong with new sources of information, but we just need to make sure that they're valid and the book in other chapters takes the reader through those processes to make sure that um, we can understand the journalistic sources, we can understand editorials, you know, much of the stuff that people see on TikTok, um, much of the, the information that comes at us in Facebook, you know, those are simply editorials from our friends and people that we know. And uh, again, there's nothing wrong with editorials, but hopefully people are using the information and they're backing it up with facts and citations. So should we always have our end result or our goal in mind before we either post our own or share? Absolutely. You know, we take time to build relationships in our neighborhood, uh, relationships where we work. Um, and we need to make sure that when we're in a social network, that, you know, the people who are part of our social network, we're not out to trick them. We're not out to, uh, you know, make them look shameful. We want all the people who are in our social network to be able to use information wisely. Yeah, so the ramifications, you know, uh, obviously are, you know, the effects on our mental health. Um, we need to use our social networks in such a manner that we truly care about everybody that is a member of our network. So before we share in information, um, make sure you tell your social networks uh, why you think the information is relevant. You know, that uh, when was it published, by whom, and why you think it's credible. That will go a long way in building good relationships. Because look, we take the time to build good relationships in our neighborhood. We take the time to build relationships, uh, you know, uh, in our faith, in our communities. And so on the social network front, we need to do the same thing. So by letting your network know that you've vetted the information first, and, and maybe why it aligns with your values. And then that way, uh, when the information is spiraling out there, um, you can be more confident uh, in it than just simply, you know, sharing it without giving your network, you know, any summary of it. That would go a long way, I believe, in your social networks. Okay. If you could announce the details of your giveaway now, Absolutely. Yep. I would you know, love to give away uh, one of our uh, paperback editions of our book. And uh, I would say that, uh, you know, I'd like, let's, let's give away three of them. We're going to go for the gold. And uh, the first three individuals that email me to profbean, that's P-R-O-F-B-E-A-N at gmail.com upon hearing this in Emma's podcast, will get a free bias is all around you paperback book. Just be sure to include your name and address and uh, we'll get that right out to you. Thank you for that, Eric. And before we do our parting shots, I would like to thank our sponsors, Doc Chavant and Digital Quill Services for Writers with author Colleen Nye. Eric, give us your parting shots. Well, I, I just want to make sure that, you know, we're, we're all responsible to be good stewards of information. It's all about media literacy. 
You know, we all want to believe that we're smarter than the information out there. But I think all of us need to step back because information can be misleading with the technologies that are out there. Um, you know, people can make themselves look very professional and uh, we need to vet their background. We need to look up who they are and understand um, what their mythos is, which is their subject matter expertise. And don't just rely on, on what we can categorize as editorials out there um, before we share the information. Um, and um, just take the time, avoid hasty generalizations. And uh, I think civil discourse stands a chance to survive. Yep, I agree. And my parting shots are buy indie, read indie, and write indie. Keep your fingers on the keyboard and your butt in the chair. Thank you for listening. Thank you so much, Emma. Very grateful to be a part of your Thank podcast. Thank you, Eric.